This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to overtime! Yes, we are back at it in podcast form. Welcome into Instigators Overtime. Our guest today, Marty, has similarity scores based on HockeyReference.com to players like Mikel Pavanka, Steve Ruchin, Anson Carter, Dave Poulin, Tony Granato, brother of current Sabres coach Don Granato, former Sabre Benny Hogue. I could go down the list. Does Ryan Callahan remind you of any of those players? Um, maybe Dave Poulin a, a little bit because Pooley was known as a uh, defensive more type guy. He actually played on these great Canada teams. Uh, uh, one was the rendezvous all-star game and killed penalties and I was a role guy, but had some offense to his game. And Ryan Callahan did that as well. So when he, when I played with Cali in New York, he was the shot blocking master, right? Getting right. his face and body in front of everything, but he put up quite some points too and played the power play. So um, I would say Dave Poulin probably, I don't know, Duffer, who do you got? No, that's a fair one indeed. Just under 400 career points for Ryan in the regular season. Of course, he played almost 900 games when you combine regular season and some deep playoff runs. And we need to remind you that when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-serve betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. So whether you visit Seneca Niagara, Allegheny or Buffalo Creek. The Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The Sportsbook at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Ryan Callahan. With NHLer turned NHL broadcaster Ryan Callahan. Terrific local product, as we all know, and uh, from the home office in Rochester, New York. Ryan, how are you? And uh, what was it like being back to, uh, to do another NHL game from basically home? Yeah, I'm doing good, guys. Um, and it was awesome last night. Uh, it was actually my maybe my third Buffalo game I've, I've done this year, so I'm feeling right at home. I did my first one was from in the booth, and then um, I've gotten a chance to do two down on the ice level, which which I've loved. I mean, you know, I guess that's where I'm most comfortable. You can see everything that's happening. You feel like you're in the action. And, um, you know, last night was an exciting night, obviously, the, the big talk about the big assist or big goal, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, it was a good night. So when you're down below, do you still talk to the, the linesman, the referee? Do you, do you peek over to see what guys are saying, what the trash talk is all about? See if you can up your game for your men's league games? Yeah, well, no men's league for me. I haven't strapped a gear <laughs> on. But uh, you definitely can hear a few F-bombs back and forth. And uh, it's a live mic, so that's that gets a bit interesting. Um, <laughs> and then last night we had Wes McCauley as the ref, so we all know how much he likes to chat and uh, and things like that, so... There's no shortage of uh, chatting on the ice. That's for sure. Who's the best young trash talker you've heard? Wow. Um, that's a tough question. I mean, you know, from those two, those two games, I just, or at least last night's game, there wasn't much trash talking going on between both teams. It was kind of a quiet, uh, a quiet game. Not a lot of action going on. I guess the most, it's not trash talking, but after Zegers' goal was, um, or assist, I should say, was, his teammates coming up to him, like just bumping him, maybe, you know, after the, uh, the TV timeouts, everybody was laughing, coming up to him, hitting him, couldn't believe it was happening. And to kind of get a front row seat of that, of how the Sabres bench and Anaheim's bench was kind of in disbelief of what just happened. It was, uh, it was pretty cool to see. 
Okay, well, I guess on that note, best trash talker you've ever played with and or against. Like, I know there's some, your teammates, you start laughing when they get going and some that really get under your skin. So over your time playing, who are those two guys? Um, probably one of them in, in both instances is Sean Avery. You, know, you played with yeah. him too, Marty. Yeah. So um, he had a way to get under the other team's skin and the things he said and Um, sometimes you'd be sitting on the bench and cringe yourself and be like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> he, he went there, but, uh, but yeah, he was probably the best at it. Not only the, the players, but also in visiting, uh, arenas, um, he had a way of getting the fans around the bench going as well. So he was, he was always entertaining. Yeah. He crossed Ryan. the line a few times. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It was, it was fun <laughs> though. I, I, I enjoyed listening to him. He had, uh, he was quick witted and he, he had some good comments with the other guys. I think as you referenced, it was different for sure to see the reaction from Zegris and Milano, the laughter, the disbelief, things like that. We don't see that very often. There is humor in the game at times, but you were also a really intense competitor. I'm wondering how often you ever let the guard down enough to be able to even have something even close to a moment like Zegris and Milano shared last night. Yeah, um, nothing to that level, but I think the only time you, you stop and you enjoy yourself is when you're up in a game, maybe, you know, four, five, six, nothing, and, you, you know, you make a play, you get back to the bench, and the mood's a little bit looser, and you have a laugh, but that was refreshing to see, and it's refreshing to see in the league just all these young players coming in with this kind of new attitude and, um, you know, the willingness of, of not being scared to make plays, not being scared to try something new, and even in the interview last night with him, with, uh, you know, me and Bucci when we were interviewing, I'm like, yeah, it's personality, right? He's a young kid and you can tell that personality comes across. And I, I feel like all these young kids coming in with all this talent is, has really shown that. And they've shown a personality as well, which I think is, is good for the league. It's good to grow the league, right? We're, we're trying to market the league as much as we can. And these are the type of players and the type of guys we got to get behind and, and get them out there in front of, you know, people that, not necessarily our, our diehard hockey fans and, um, you know, peel back a little bit of, of who these guys are. And I think he's a perfect example of that. So I guess let's transition into young kids like Zegris and, and we see a lot in Buffalo, they got Dallin. Um, what they, and, and how youth hockey is set up now for them to be able to explore those skills compared to you when you were 16 and you joined the Buffalo lightning and like you, you could never have tried what these kids are allowed to try now. Like how is hockey, especially at the youth level is changing. Uh, you know, tell us about your experience when you were 16 playing basically what was uh, junior hockey. Yeah. I mean, even, even back to when I was playing, you know, minor hockey at the age of, of 10, I mean, we were working on systems. We were working on structure. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't YouTube where you could watch all these trick shots and all these cool things that people are doing. And, Um, I, I will say, I think, you know, from my generation to this generation is, is what you try to instill in these kids. And I'm doing a little bit with Bishop Carney selects. I'm helping them out is yeah. trying to get them to, to know the game away from the puck as well. Right. There's, there's a game away from, you know, doing these skills and doing these tricks and, um, but, it, but it has changed. I mean, at my age at 16, going to juniors, playing for the junior, you know, Buffalo lightning, Yep. There's no chance I would try any of that stuff. You know, it wasn't even in my head. So um, the skill level of these kids is, it blows my mind away. You know, I saw it when I got to Tampa with some of those young guys. And um, like I said, now even helping out with this Bishop Kearney select team, you know, the, their skill level is just, 
it's it's mind-boggling okay well on that note i think it would appear obvious to i'll count myself as an outsider here it would appear obvious that the game needs to have progressive welcoming coaches for talent like that uh you were also a part of the tampa organization um which has done nothing but have great success uh, would you say John Cooper falls into that category and who else might be at the top of the list as far as not being part of the old guard and, uh, and, and being someone that, that you think players can really feed off of as far as their acceptance to this new style? Yeah, I definitely think Cooper falls into that, um, you know, that category. Another name that comes up and just chatting with them and, and watching a lot of games is Donnie Granato. Um, you know, having conversations with him, it, you know, and especially yesterday before the game, we, we talked a little bit about them, you know, giving up goals and, um, you know, it was 20 goals in the last four games or whatever it was. And, and his first thing was, is I'm not preaching that, you know, all of a sudden you got to stifle the offense or stifle these chances that they're trying to do or opportunities. I'm not telling them to pack it in. I mean, that's how you ruin development. Um, he goes, these guys have so much skill and so much talent is I want them to explore it. You know, that's how they develop and learn what they can and can't do in this league. And, uh, that was really, you know, it was kind of eye opening to me because you think your, your knee jerk reaction would be, okay, let's tighten it up. You know, let's, let's concentrate more on defensive hockey. Let's, you know, put five in the box and, and make the team work around us. We're struggling a little bit goaltending wise. Let's try to protect our goaltender, but he thought the exact exact opposite. And I think that's the the new wave of, of coaching and, and thinking is, you know, with these, especially with all the young guys coming in the league, right? It, it used to not be like that. It, you used to have one, maybe two young guys on your team, you know, now their uh, team's filled with them. So, you know, that's part of their development is learning when and they can and can't make those plays, but you don't want to stifle it. And I think there's a happy balance though with that. I mean, you talk about the new guard and the old guard, um, you know, it, I look at that, that Tampa Bay lightning team I was on and we had a lot of talent. Um, we had a lot of freedom, but they ultimately didn't win until they realized they have to take care of the puck. Right. You know, you, you can't try that move at the blue line and turn the puck over and give a two on one the other way. Because for a lot of years, we were like that. We, we outscored opponents. Right. And then all of a sudden you get to playoffs and things change a little bit, you know, it's, <laughs> You know, checking's a little bit tighter. Everything's a little bit harder. And, you know, you can't make those some of those plays you made in the regular season. So I definitely think there's a happy balance there. But I think it's great for the league that, you know, do have these coaches coming in that's encouraging these kids to, to try new things and explore their talent that they, they definitely have. So what you're saying is that the way we were coached under torts in New York uh, is not the way that Coop and Granado and those guys are teaching the game. Like, Callie, go out there and block 100 shots a game is not the way that uh, the league should be going right now? I think, if, <laughs> trust me, the league didn't want me going out there and trying to go between guys' legs either. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you got you to know, you know your players. And um, like I said, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say Torts's way of thinking was, was wrong or is wrong because – I think there's a lot of positives of thinking that way too, right? Yeah. Of, of trying to defend, trying to make sure you're right plays. It's, and I think that's the big challenge is, is teaching these young kids of when you can make those plays and when you can't make those plays, right? Um, 
you know, there's times in the game to try it and there's times not to. Uh, and that's the, that's the balance these coaches are, are trying to, trying to do. For the oh. record, I love torques. So, I mean, it was so good for me as a goalie. Plus I was a backup. So it made my job even a lot easier. So <laughs> this is uh, more than a weekly occurrence that he professes his love for torts, Ryan. So yeah. uh, that makes, yeah, that makes, that makes two of us. I, uh, I don't, I owe a lot, I owe a lot to torts and now to, now to play, you know, being with them on the other side of the camera, it's definitely interesting. It's, it was funny when we, you know, when I took this job with ESPN, I didn't, I didn't know Torch was part of it. We did like our first company Zoom meeting and all of a sudden the little box pops up and John Tortorella, I'm like, what? Like, so I, I text him, I text him right away. I go, is this really you? He's like, yep. I'm like, you know, I thought we'd be together at some point again, but definitely not behind a camera. So it's, uh, we had a good laugh. Hey, when you had to block shots every shift under Tortorella, what's the one piece of extra equipment you used that saved your career? Ooh, um, I mean, Marty would know. I, I had a lot of extra equipment, and it was kind of yeah. based on my previous injuries, right? So I don't, I don't know if you, I mean, you've obviously noticed the, the pad on everybody's, the front of everybody's glove they have. Mm-hmm. That actually all started with me and Glenn yes. Slater. Um, I blocked a shot in Pittsburgh. It was actually uh, Latang pretty innocent shot, but it hit me right there. Um, kind of in between <clears throat> the grooves of the padding broke my hand. And, you know, slats was always a guy who came down and looked at the guy's gear and why is this happening? So him and Cass who's the equipment guy in New York, who is an absolute mastermind of, you know, adding things to equipment, changing equipment. So him and slats came up with that front pad, uh, on the front of their glove for me. I started using it and then Slats made it mandatory for everybody on the team. And then it, it's actually gotten to the point now where manufacturers are putting it on the gloves before they ship it out uh, to certain teams. So that was probably the biggest thing I put on, but I also put it on like on my shin pads on the inside of my ankles. Um, I took a couple shots there and split me open. So I added some padding there and um, basically everything I could do without being a goalie pad. Uh, <laughs> I did eventually. I remember the hand incident when Slats went nuts over it. Uh, so are you getting a cut from the manufacturer or is Slats when it comes to the extra hand protection? You know what kind of businessman he is. So he's definitely getting a royalty. I'm not seeing uh, I'm not seeing anything of that. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny, Kelly, is that Cass, uh, I guess your marks, uh, the, the equipment manager, kind of invented two things, the, the, the padding on the gloves and that loop that now appears on the back of every goalie skate. They call it the Lundqu- Lundy loop or Lundquist loop, where L- Hank was doing the, the, the strap behind the skate as opposed to underneath the skate. And so he stitched a strap, uh, a loop back there, and now every goalie skate has that, like all the manufacturers do, uh, do it. So he probably is getting a kickback somewhere. But um, I want to get into some torch stories. But first, because you, men- you mentioned Glenn Sater, do you remember when he came into the locker room and was mad at everybody because Eric Carlson cut his Achilles tendon and guys weren't wearing the, the cut-proof socks? And he said he was going to fire Cass if we started, if we didn't start wearing cut-proof socks, he was going to fire the equipment manager because it was easier to fire that guy than to get rid of all of us. I, I don't know if you remember. Uh, oh, yeah. And he also said, I don't know if you guys saw last night in Quebec City, that kid, that defenseman got his leg cut. We're like, slats, there hasn't been a team in Quebec City in 20 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, I remember that and I, I actually I hung up the socks in my stall so everybody thought I was wearing them but 
I wasn't, I wasn't wearing them because I didn't like the way they felt, but I'm like, Cass, I'll hang them in my stall for you. So Slats thinks I'm wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be a good, a good guy. Um, and, and quickly, um, remember the Brian Boyle tort story? When he showed up late for a meeting, a video meeting that one year in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, you, care, oh, yeah. you care to share a little bit about what happened that day? Yeah. So we, oh man. So Torch would have the video meetings. Obviously you can never be late for him. You had to be five minutes early that, that horror ordeal. So we're, we're in a meeting. We're probably 10 minutes into it. And I guess Boiler is going to the bathroom. He comes out of the bathroom and I remember Steve Eminger was in the yeah. meeting either. He was riding the bike because he was hurt. So he didn't have to be in the meeting. So Eminger tells the story the best. He runs into the weight room. He knows there's a meeting going on and he's going to Emmy. He's like, should I go in there? Shouldn't I go in there? Should I go in there? Shouldn't I go in there? And he's kind of going back and forth. So finally he's like, I'm going to go in there. So he comes in, he slams the door open, right? Like bursts through the door and torts and everybody kind of looks at him and he goes, I was taking a <laughs> He screams it, just screams. I'm taking a So it almost caught Torch by such surprise that he looked at Boiler kind of weird. He goes, all right, go sit down. So he just goes sit down and <laughs> continues the meeting. <laughs> uh, that was the first and only time I believe somebody was ever late. And even if you were on time, usually you were late. So you never went into the meeting. But Boiler, the, the, the attack with the door open yeah. and everything just made it perfect. Oh, man, that was great. He caught Ryan, such surprise. He didn't know what to say. Did you ever, um, on your path to all these interactions with Tortorella and your NHL career, did you ever think that uh, that you would land here in Buffalo at any point? And 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 obviously, we saw your tweet not long ago. Uh, you know, directed towards RJ here in his final season. Yeah. Um, so we we know the passion and the love for the team and RJ. Um, take us through all those thoughts on your way to. What was an incredibly long and, and successful NHL career? Yeah, um, you know, and, and I think, as you know, from the tweet, I grew up a Sabres fan. I, I, I lived and died to Sabres. Um, my mom still tells me stories of Sabres. We lose a regular season game and I'd go to bed crying. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I loved them. And I still remember watching the old tapes, uh, Darren Poopa um, tapes. I used to watch it, basically broke the tape. I forget what year it was, but it was a recap of their year. Every morning I'd wake up and I'd watch it. Um, but yeah, so I obviously I get drafted by New York. Um, I wanted to stay there my whole career. Things kind of went south without getting into that whole thing in my contract year. I ended up getting traded to Tampa and I'm becoming a free agent at the end of the year. And um, once I got traded to Tampa, Buffalo was on my radar right away. You know, to be honest with you, in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, I'm going to free agency. Like maybe Buffalo is where I want to go. Um, there's a team there, a bit of a rebuild, a bit of a just disorganized at the time for sure. I mean, there's no secret about that. Um, so I got to Tampa. I was planning on going to free agency. Buffalo was right at the top of my list. Um, you know, there were some conversations going on there with the agents and everything else that, you know, behind the scenes that don't happen that happen. Um, so <laughs> I kind of knew there was some interest as well from, from Buffalo um, on their part. So what happened is I get to Tampa and I see how talented that team is. Uh, I fell in love with the city right away, the fans there, um, you know, so I was really close to going to free agency. And then I saw everything that Tampa was doing that had a chance to win, you know, relatively quickly. Obviously we went to the Stanley cup finals the next year. Um, so it was about a week before free agency when I could actually talk to other teams and Steve Eisenman kind of put the pressure on me. Cause I still at that point wanted to wait and see maybe, 
Buffalo offers something. And, and that was the other team, you know, that I was, that I was thinking was the Buffalo Sabres. And just because I love them so much being from Rochester and everything else. And um, yeah, I just started cranking the gears on me a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I just went through so much in New York of contract negotiations, everything else. I like it in Tampa. My family likes it there. Um, good situation. So I ended up, I ended up signing that contract, but if things didn't work out, you know, in Tampa or I got traded somewhere else, you know, I definitely think I could have been wearing that Sabres jersey. Did you ask any uh, of the Sabres players or talk to them? Uh, I mean, you played with Miller in the Olympics. So you 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 probably know players that play or Gianta. Did, did you inquire? Did you make phone calls and say, hey, what's it like? And uh, kind of, you know, build it up a little bit for you to uh, to want to come. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Players talk, right? And even just in just in passing, you know, what's it like? In the, what's it like there? What's the organization like? Um, you know, things like that. I mean, Gio Gianta wasn't. He ended up signing that year, I think, in Buffalo. So he wasn't he wasn't there yet. But um, but yeah, it just the the point that team was in the in their organization and where they were on the rebuild compared to you know Tampa, where it's a, a win now situation. It, it just made sense for me to, yeah. you know, I mean, you know how I mean, a competitive guy, like everybody else, I want to, I want to win, right. I wanted to win a Stanley cup. And I thought my best chance to do that was, was in Tampa. Ryan, how are you physically? Because you played the game at such a demanding level and for a long time, and we obviously know how it ended. And I think it's important for people to always understand the sacrifice that is made by someone who plays the game as long as you do did and we also need to remind people that like the average career in the NHL is not that long and thus the ultimate physical sacrifice can take a huge toll so uh, out of genuine concern I'd love to know how you are on a on a day-to-day basis <laughs> yeah I mean day-to-day I'm, I'm good um you know I, I still could play golf um you know run around with the kids things like that obviously I, I left the game I retired due to a degenerative disc disease in my back that still bothers me. I mean, I still had to do things to maintain it. And I mean, I guess like everybody else, I wake up some mornings and it's, it's, it's tough to get around, you know, I, your, your back hurts and uh, you, you kind of learn to, to live with that. Um, you know, and then obviously I've had my, I've had two shoulder surgeries, two hip surgeries. And uh, I think anybody who's gone through that or have had those surgeries are, they're never completely hundred percent again. Um, you know, there, there's times and this Rochester winter sometimes and the, the cold of it, you know, it takes a little bit more to get going in the morning, but um, all in all, I mean, I, my, my head's good, which, you know, is, is the biggest thing I look at after a long career is, you know, knock on wood. I didn't get too many, I didn't get any concussions at all. So uh, my head is good. And, and, and my body um, takes me a little bit longer to get going in the morning, but I was absolutely blessed to have the, the long career I did. And, you know, people ask like, you know, is it a tough to go out that way? And, you know, I don't, I didn't look at it like that. You know, I looked at the the 13 years I played and uh, how lucky I was to play that long, you know, coming from Rochester, young kid from Rochester, New York, and end up playing for an original six team captain there. And then a couple of good runs in the playoffs with Tampa. So it's, uh, I'm lucky, very, very lucky. I was just going to say, Callie, you were a great captain, truly uh, enjoyed playing with you and uh, Danny G and that whole crew in New York. Uh, my last few years and uh so that was that was definitely fun but because i never got to really put you on the spot in new york so i'm going to put you on the spot here with a few this or that so basically i'm gonna you know throw a couple of things at you and uh, let's just see what sticks so um better coach torts or coop 
Wow. This or that. See, I'm starting right off the bat. Like, go. This is this. This is serious. <laughs> Coming on the cast, there's like, you know what? It's gonna be easy questions. We're gonna have yeah. some fun. <laughs> For the development of my career and to get me to where I was and let me play 13 years in the league, John Tortorella. Okay. What did you like more? Playing on the power play on the or on the penalty kill? Oh wow. Um Penalty kill. Actually, I took a lot of pride in the penalty kill. I, I, I really did. Yeah, I, I, I thought you may say so. You ended up with a lot of points on the power play still, like you were a net front guy and whatever, yeah. but I, I know you took a lot of pride in the penalty kill, so I thought you would say that. Um, what's the better route? I know you went OHL major junior, but now if somebody came to you and said, oh, you know, I'm thinking of going college or major junior, this or that, which route do you think is best? You know, it's funny you said that because I do get this question a lot, actually, from parents and, and things like that. And I'm, I'd love to play your game and play this or that, but I really think it's based on the individual. You know, <laughs> I, I, I do. Like, it's, it's based on the kid. Like, it's based right. on what the family wants, what the kid wants. You know, Marty, I mean, you can't – I don't think there's a better route. Um, I think OHL was my best route to get to the NHL, to get where I wanted to go. Uh, but there's kids that – College is the better route for them. So, okay. Um, well, sitting on the fence on that one, we'll allow yeah. one, but uh, yeah. there's a couple of tough ones coming up. So, uh, like you can't it. sit Here on the go. fence of those. I got two more. Um, a reporter to deal with. Okay. If I said you have to deal with Larry Brooks every day for the rest of your career or everybody else in the world, Brooksy or the field, which one do you deal with? This or that? I'm going to get pick Brooksy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He was actually, he was actually kind to me. I don't think I had too many uh, articles where he shredded me. So um, I'll go Brooksy with that one. I'll give him some love. I enjoyed Brooksy. And last but not least, which one was the better goal you saw live? The Milano from Zegras against Buffalo Sabres on Tuesday night or the Tomas Hurdle in San Jose that kind of sent me into retirement, this or that? Which one did you like best? Marty, I love you, buddy. I'm going to go Zegras for sure. <laughs> ah, there's no way I'm going to bury you. you Duffer's know? going hurdle for sure. Yeah, I go hurdle every time, no matter what the situation is. Okay, no diss or dats, but just rapid fire as quickly as possible. What? Okay, the one memory of your World Junior experience, what stands out? Uh, beating Russia um, game one of that tournament in North, in North Dakota on home soil. That was, uh, that was pretty special. That building was crazy. They're going nuts. And one from each Olympic experience. Uh, from Vancouver would be my best experience is having my family there, sharing it with them. Um, you know, after practice, we'd practice in the morning. I'd spend the whole day with my family walking around that city. Um, it was vibrant. I mean, it, I, mean I, I could talk forever about that Olympics. It was awesome. And then Sochi, um, my, my best experience there putting on my country's colors, uh, getting to play in the Olympics, I guess. I mean, there wasn't, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. There wasn't too many positives out of, out of Sochi. My family wasn't there. We had to stay in the village. Um, you know, quick, a quick story. I know this is a quick head, but good bathrooms, um, right? In the village. Did you guys oh, have the dual like, uh, crappers? Oh yeah. Great. And then, you know, what was unsettling is we, the village was right on the black sea. Right. And they had a U.S. um, warship, just off the off in the Black Sea that you could see from the village. And that was our escape route for US athletes if things went south. So you'd wake up every morning, you'd, you know, you'd see that ship and you'd be like, 
oh, this is this is awesome. You know, like <laughs> let me go enjoy myself myself while I got US military ready to strip me out of here in case things go south. So like it was tough. I mean, it was it was tough, but it was fun to represent my country. All right. Well, I TJ Oshi was pretty prolific there for a moment or two as well. That was yep. fun. Yeah. Um, last one. Your hopes as a broadcaster. What do you dream of uh, growing into? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, my expectations, I'm going out there and I'm, I'm having fun with it. I'm enjoying myself. You know, I'm not putting too much pressure. Um, you know, I guess my, my hopes and dreams would, you know, I, I think my biggest thing right now is I'd love to call some playoff games. You know, it would be an analysis between the benches for some playoff games. Um, feel that hype again. Um, you know, I was saying to Butcher Gross last night is, you know, that first game I did in Buffalo and I was down between the benches was the first time in my career, since I finished playing, that I missed the game that being on the ice, you know, like being down that close and, and seeing the energy, seeing the guys, it's probably the first time since I retired where I was like, man, you know, I wish I was on the ice. So I've enjoyed it so far. I'm, I'm having fun with it, working with a good crew, um, but I'm not putting too much pressure on myself for it. Does the chicken parm shtick ever get old? <laughs> I, I absolutely love chicken parm. So it's never, it's never going to get you, old with me. You're a meatball guy. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, last word? No, I like I said, Kelly, I had a I didn't really know you, even though you were from Rochester. And when I got to play with you in New York, I truly enjoyed it. You do a fantastic job. I actually love that you stole Bucci's play-by-play for a little bit yesterday yeah. in the game while he was eating. You did a great job at that. So I can't wait to watch more of you on the tube. It was awesome. Thanks, Marty. I still remember being a kid at uh, ESL Sports Center. Yep. I was going on the ice, um, might even just been like a skating, skating shoot or something like that. And we walked by the Amherst room and I, I, I still remember you're sitting there surrounded by three or four reporters. Um, nah, that never and, happened. And getting interviewed. <laughs> and only if I knew you were the one that grabbed the reporters and, and, and been bending their ear. If I, if I knew when I was a kid, that's actually what you were doing. <laughs> was, he, was he unrolling the tape at the time as well off of his ankles? Uh, yeah, he might have been. Holy cow. What a noise that was. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We'll see you soon. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to seeing how uh, Ryan Callahan continues in his broadcasting career. Uh, definitely the passion for the game has never left, Marty. And that's kind of what leads us into our three stars every week, because beyond the blue and gold, there are always stories that catch our eye and need to, in fact, be elevated to a higher status. So take it away with your three this week. Okay, so my three stars. First, I'm going to start with Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. He's got 19 points in his last 10 games, 12 points in his last six. Uh, look, he was a little bit more of a latecomer coming over from the KHL, had 51 points in 55 games last year. He's over a point a game this year. And the Minnesota Wild, if you haven't watched them, go and watch the Wild game on TV. If they're on TNT, ESPN+, Plus, or if you have the NHL package, they are fun to watch. So Kaprizov, number three star. Number two star, Cam Talbot. Won his last five. I'm telling you, he may be a sneaky guy that comes in for Team Canada if NHL players go to the Olympics. Um, he's played so well on a team that gives up a lot of chances. He's won his last five. Uh, he's only given up eight goals in his last uh, five games, I believe. 
and it's a 945 save percentage in that span. So amazing. And the number one star, because I picked two Minnesota Wild, <laughs> I'm going to go with the Minnesota Wild, who are now 8-1-1 one, and one in the last 10, won seven in a row. And they beat teams like Edmonton, Toronto, Tampa, Winnipeg. So look out, the Wild is hot right now. Okay, this is going to feel like picking on Chuck Fletcher, who I happen to like, but uh, that's Chuck's former team that you're elevating. I'm going to throw in his current team as the third star this week, the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh. Not, not because of anything they're doing success-wise on the ice, but because they're always an interesting story. And uh, I don't know whether it's because misery can love company sometimes, but oh. I, I tend to gravitate towards the Flyers and their current predicament. Sorry, Chuck. Uh, number two would be stealing from your storyline, and that is good friend of the show and of hockey in general, Marcus Foligno. Last year, he was on an amazing pace. The game that he plays ultimately cost him time due to injury. Well, he's back to that goal scoring level and on a 30 plus goal pace right now with this impressive story that is the Minnesota Wild, 11 goals in his first 25 games. Keep it up, Marcus. And number one, perhaps for different reasons, although it's almost always the same reason, Alex Ovechkin. When he scored his goal against Columbus, I was reminded that Ovi had just reached 50 goals in his last 79 games, which is absurd. And yet in his next game, his celebration for a primary assist on John Carlson's goal, <laughs> where he should have, based on his track record, could have easily scored from a prime position, reminded me of how much Ovechkin is, in fact, the leader and team player that people sometimes wondered whether he would be, which was always ridiculous to me, and yet so fun to watch. So keep it going, Ovi. A lot of things going on around the NHL, Marty. It, it was really funny because I noticed the same thing. He's on the half wall, like cheering with the fans and celebrating like he scored. John Carlson ends up behind the net and he's pointing at Ovi like, hey, come and join us, buddy. That's all on you, this one. So a little bit like Forsberg when he kept pointing to Granlin after every oh. goal that he scored. <laughs> Basically like, hey, like that was your play. That was you. Yeah. So very much like that but again that's the first time i noticed Ovi celebrating after an assist mm -hmm. and it almost felt like he had actually scored a goal and speaking of forsberg although not his brother or his father shame on the <laughs> ottawa senators for not starting anton forsberg in quest of a fourth straight win and yeah. they turned to gustafson and lost that was disappointing to see yeah, you're a big Forsberg guy. Peter, <laughs> Philip, Anton, uh, no, Pat, here, here. Joe, and Jeff Forsberg. There's got to be more coming, right? So you're you're a big Forsberg guy. <laughs> Here's my Forsberg list. Peter, Philip, way down is Anton. But that's only based on how long it took him to get his first NHL win. Again, you know what? Because we saw the Anaheim Ducks in town mm. and um, Sonny Milano cleared waivers, Sometimes it reminds us of guy like Jason Pominville cleared waivers and turned out to be an amazing NHL player. And how about that trade that brought in Philip Forsberg to the Nashville Predators when the Washington Capitals traded Forsberg to the Predators for Martin Erat? Mm -hmm. And like it just it just was one of the worst trades result-wise in yes. NHL history. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
Yeah, and now time has gone on, and the Predators do wonder whether Forsberg will be part of their future. Yeah. They're uh, they're right in the middle of that. They're in that dangerous position of are we good enough or do we rebuild? And uh, the Predators have to figure that out. But so far this year, especially with Forsberg's recent reemergence, uh, they're right in the thick of it in the Western Conference. Yeah. Fantastic to have Ryan Callahan as a guest. Even better to have you with us as always on Instigators Overtime, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casino. 